So, like, take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off, you hosers. Welcome back to Hosers. This is episode seven. My name's Chris Killingsworth, and joining me today is, as always, Carter Lupel, my co-host. What's going on, Carter? How's it going, Chris? <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad that you <laughs> kept up the bit from the last episode. Um, I was actually showing a couple of people I work with today the podcast, and they're like, well, what do you think would be like your best kind of go of the podcast? And I was like, well, I felt good about how funny the last episode was. We got a lot of great feedback from the last episode and they really liked that how's it going chris how's it going chris so that's gonna (laughs) (laughs) perfect so uh like we said last episode we have our friend thomas williams uh who's joining us uh for episode seven uh we're really excited to have thomas on i actually just recently met thomas at the last uh puck talks event and Carter and Thomas have known each other for quite a long time. Maybe we could get a bit of a backstory on you guys, and then we can do a bit of a backstory on Thomas. Carter, how did you guys meet? Um, well, we met in the city. Uh, Chrissy actually worked with Thomas's girlfriend at a cafe, and um, they found out they both loved MCR, and <laughs> their relationship took off. And then... Um, and then Thomas and I, Chris, I was like, you'll love Thomas. You need to hang out with Thomas. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I would love Thomas. And then, <laughs> like, I'm such a weird, like, I'm a weird, like, I hate meeting new people. Not you, Thomas, but, like, I'm so set in my ways. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm, I guess I get anxious meeting new people. And, um, and then finally when we met, I was like, oh, shit, I fucking love Thomas. I should have. I should have done better and tried to hang out with you guys a lot sooner. And then yeah. um, from there, we uh, Tom's always been nice. He's giving me free coffee at Starbucks whenever I run into him when he used to work at Starbucks. And uh, then most recently, we uh, hung out at Puck Talks, and we bumped into each other um, when Chris and I went to Puck Talk, and we ended up sitting together for the evening and planning to record this episode together. Yeah, that was that was a fun night, man. Like... I think for me, Puck Talks is great because I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm really bad at social media, but I follow a lot of like really intelligent and like fun and exciting, like hockey personalities on Twitter. And I feel like I will sometimes get an opportunity to meet some of these people. Uh, and Thomas, um, for those of you guys who don't know is a, is a hockey writer, uh, for a Detroit Red Wings blog that I'm sure is near and dear to most of you guys, which is great. So it was fun to get some insight and, and meet him and, and talk about some of the different things that's going well for Detroit. Um, and unfortunately, some of the things that are maybe not going well for our friends, uh, the Red Wings. So, Thomas, maybe you could give us a bit of backstory around uh, how you got involved 
uh, writing and, and what that's looked like for you the last little while. Well, how do we back up a bit first, Thomas? Let us know how you, what you like about the game. Or should, should we? Yeah, we can start there. I mean, let's start where we normally start. Like what? Like a childhood origin story. Yeah, we, we like to ask all of our guests, like, basically what, like, makes them tick with hockey, like what they're passionate about. Um, so maybe we start there, like what got you into the game, what keeps you hooked in the game, and then kind of progress into your Detroit story. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to take Chris, I just feel like that we, uh, for, for, uh, timeline's sake, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yo, definitely. Yeah. I think if we can start there, uh, and yeah, talk about how you fell in love with the game. Um, and you know, I'd be curious to see kind of how you landed on, you know, writing with, uh, the Detroit Red Wings and, and blogging about that. So I'll let you, uh, take it from here, Thomas. Yeah. So basically, uh, I always, I always started loving the game, and then uh, my dad got me really into it, of course, Leafs fan, you know, born into it, and uh, it just started from there, really, like, watching, I think my earliest hockey memory was watching the 2002 gold medal Canada-US game, the 5-2 game. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was probably it, and then I took kind of a break from hockey, and I thought, I was that, like, weird high school kid that thought sports were lame. We're all in bands, by the way, Chris. <laughs> That's yeah, if, you're, if you're in a band, you can't enjoy sports, you know? That's what I thought. Well, it, like, ruins the dichotomy of, like... It's funny, because Carter and I talked about this on a previous episode, but, like, I think the three of us were all kind of there. When I met Carter, Carter was, like, a jock, but he was, like, still very much... How would I describe it? Um, not a dick. Like, not, like, a typical jock. So I feel, um, yeah, like a kindred spirit with you on that one that you like, like the game, but you're like, oh, I can't like my chemical romance and hockey. Those are two different things. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird, especially that I couldn't skate at all and I still can't. And so like playing it, actually I've physically never done, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, and then after I'd say I got really back into it in like later in high school and then started always following it of course like you're just saying following people on twitter just being involved in like so much of the hockey media and hockey just in general and then i got hooked onto the analytics kind of scene and then um started following all these blogs just kind of reading as much as i can and then eventually after i finished my this is kind of fast forwarding a bit but after i finished my uh bachelors of music which is kind of a long story but uh after i finished that i realized that i was listening to hockey podcasts more than i was listening to music so i was like why not start writing yeah that i want to do so so i started doing that and then i basically how i got to wings nations i started to just watch every team and then i knew that i think the whole nation network there are some teams uh some blogs that were looking for writers I think it was the Jets and the Wings were mainly looking for writers. So I listened to a couple of episodes of their podcast and got to talk to some of the guys from Wings Nation. They seemed like awesome guys. So I was like, why not start with this team? Because it's definitely an interesting spot. So I could be my normal pessimistic self and hate on the team that I'm running about. So. <laughs> There's something like strangely poetic about that in a way where it's like, you know, you're able to not be become a fan like you know um 
kind of out of nowhere, but it's almost like you had all these years to become a Detroit fan when they were competitive, and now I'm not so sure, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know. I should have been, like, interested in them when they're actually good. When they had Lidstrom and Iserman and Fedoron. Yeah. I watched Lidstrom's, like, we were talking about this at the Pop Talk site. Like, Lidstrom's one of my favorite players ever to watch. Yeah. But. No, that's cool, man. It's a kind of a cool story. Um, and I mean, the nice thing is, is that the way that, you know, kind of hockey fandom manifests itself, um, in this day and age is, is really strange. Like to think that, um, like not necessarily a barrier to entry, but almost the opposite of that, an entry point for a lot of people is, um, podcasts and, and it's not necessarily about people who, you know, quote unquote played the game. Right. So I think that that's, it's kind of refreshing to hear your story. And, and I also like the part where you talked about kind of taking a break from it. Cause I feel like, um, although I was always a big hockey fan, I think my fandom as a leaf fan, as a kid, and then, you know, starting to follow other teams, uh, when they were prominent, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how your fandom will, will take different shapes over time, but it's, it's cool that, uh, that you're doing what you're doing and you're enjoying it. Um, tell me about the music degree. How did that all come about? Cause I know you're fairly, well, I wouldn't say fairly, I'd say you're more than, um, average, <laughs> better than average from a musical perspective. How did that all kind of come to be? Uh, so I guess aside from hockey in high school, I was really involved in music and just the whole music program, uh, in my high school. And then my teacher was married to a prominent jazz saxophonist in the, in Toronto so I got to kind of see him and, like, experience what the lifestyle would be of, like, a freelance musician. And then I kind of really got to dig that. And then, um, so I started playing bass. And then I started playing double bass in grade 10, um, which I guess is fairly early for, I don't know, playing that thing that's, like, bigger than me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then I decided to go to York University for music and then did that for four years, met amazing people got to play as much as I could, recorded some stuff, pretty much lived the life for like five years. And then after about a year of post-graduation, I was just able to like, again, like I mentioned, I was listening to way more hockey podcasts and watching way more hockey than I was listening to music or being, or going to shows or anything. So I was like, you know what? I've been wanting to do this for a while. And then kind of my girlfriend actually was the one that pushed me into just actually writing. So I started my own blog and then from there that was, uh, wrote like five random pieces that I just threw my thoughts out there and sent it to Wings Nation when I got the chance. And then now I'm here. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's interesting because the party that we had for, uh, for Carter's birthday, was it your birthday party this past year, Carter? I can't remember. Yeah. The one that was at the uh, apartment. I actually yeah. met. I actually met your girlfriend Thomas at that party, and like walked away thinking she was like one of the funniest people I'd ever met. Like, what a great first impression. Um, so that's great, man. I'm, it's nice to have somebody in your life that will push you and and, and want yeah. you the best for you. I think the three of us are fortunate to have you know partners in our lives that that'll do that. So. Yeah, I think uh, sometimes our partners get sick of um, listening to hockey podcasts when they'd rather be listening to music on long drives, but they deal with it, and I'm appreciative for that. (laughs) 
But uh, let's, yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, first and foremost, thanks uh, to both of you guys for staying up. I worked a long shift today, so I'm glad that we could record a little bit later in the evening. But uh, the plus side to that is while I was driving, a, uh, a trade happened. So I think with the onset of the trade deadline happening in 13 days, I guess it is. So just under two weeks uh, before the trade deadline, um, a hot topic on our podcast, Dion Phaneuf, uh, got dealt to Ottawa. Uh, do either of you guys have the trade pulled up? I'm just kind of gathering my stuff here. So what was what was the full trade? Oh, it was... Sorry. No, go ahead. Okay, so it was uh, Phaneuf from Ottawa with 25% salary retained. So he has a 5.25 cap hit for LA. And then Nate Thompson as well, which they signed as a free agent, I believe last summer to a two-year contract so he has one year left at 1.65 and thompson yeah was he playing for um their farm team or was he on ottawa the whole time he was on ottawa the whole time i remember seeing he definitely played against the leafs that game like two games ago or whatever that sends leafs game okay yeah because nate thompson used to play for anaheim so i guess he didn't get re-upped in anaheim this past summer yeah he was a ufa for them and then so going the other way to to the Sens is Gabrick, uh, four point eight seven five with three years left, but he he'll probably be on the LTIR for like half of that. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it's Devon Shore or Nick Shore. Nick Shore, yeah. Shore, okay, Devon Shore plays for the Stars, I think. But yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, what are our initial thoughts, boys? Um, I don't. <laughs> I I guess like getting rid of some account space for. Ottawa um, on the FNF end, like you know me, I'm I'm not a I'm not a FNF fan, but I did appreciate like the role that he was put in and his place in the Ottawa lineup. I feel like that was the perfect spot for him. So hopefully, um, LA will go the same way. Um, Mary Gabrick, I I'm not sure if that's a timely pickup for him, and I don't know what good Nick Shore will do. Like I'm I'm always I'm a big believer in the NCAA or NC2A um, like development. And but he's he seemed to be kind of fast like Nick Shore played for the U eighteen USA team, um, and then he played for oh, what did he play for University of Denver um, had amazing seasons. Then when he moved over to the Monarchs, um, he had an amazing season as well in the H like two seasons in the AHL, um, and then for some reason cannot put up points like in the NHL as a centerman. So it's. I don't know. It's concerning for me that like, like these two guys picked up Fenuff and Thompson, but I'm not sure. What do you think, Thomas? Yeah, it's it's interesting from uh, like both teams' point of view because I was thinking I was like, what does this really do for either teams? Like, it's kind of a nothing. It's a big money trade, but it doesn't really move the needle <laughs> off the way. Like exactly. So like Fenuff adds experience on the back end, but that's a big like contract just to take to be your like third fourth D like I would even argue like he's behind Alec Martinez and all them um yeah it's I so I pulled up daily face off because those guys are usually pretty good at getting an understanding of like where that person would play based on like injury and whatnot and they have Dion Phaneuf as the fifth like the fifth defenseman with Alec Martinez on the right side so that's concerning I mean that kind of contract for a guy that's going to be like your your five or six guy, 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense because he's been rumored to go to L.A. or like Anaheim or wherever because Alicia Cuthbert, which it always boils down to his beautiful wife from Popular Mechanics for Kids. Um, it always. Yeah, there you go. Shout out to Alicia. Um, but it always boils down to like her being an actress and her spending most of her time in California and like for like a work-life balance, it was always rumored that he was trying to get out to the West coast in California to obviously spend more time with his wife. And on the eve of Valentine's day, boys, um, this is a a good move to improve the quality of his relationship. I think that's, that's my take. (laughs) That's how the train happens. (laughs) Happy Valentine's day. (laughs) I was joking around that. It's like, uh, the Mike Fisher to, is again from Ottawa, I guess, to Nashville because of uh, Carrie Underwood going to Nashville. <laughs> maybe, like maybe this whole time, Pierre Dorian's just like, all right, I'm a shitty GM, but I will get you to spend more time with your wife. But I'll get you laid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's weird, too, because like you were saying, Carter, about Shore, like I think at best he's maybe a top nine. I believe he's a centerman. I'm almost positive. I don't like... If you look at the points he's put up, he's like, he had 17 points last year, 10 points year before, and seven points before that. Like, he's 25 years old, and he still he hasn't found his swing. Like, he's he's not. I wouldn't I wouldn't put him as a top nine. Like, he, I think it's just depth, though, right, for Ottawa, because if there's talk about Derek Brassard being on the market, if Brassard ends up going. You know they're they're gonna you know not uh, not do well the rest of the year. So I mean at the at the end of the day maybe he's he's just a depth move. And as far as Gabrick goes, if Gabrick goes on the LTIR, which is expected, like Thomas said a few minutes ago, I think the idea is it's going to be cap relief for Ottawa. Um, but there's still big money um, for LA going the other way, um, or from Ottawa to LA. I mean with Fanuf's real deal because his is actual money where Gabrick's contract will be put on um, long-term injury reserve. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange, but I just think Shore is going to go down. Like he's going to go to like, go into the minor. Like I think he's going to go into development. Like he's not gonna, I I feel like he's, he's going to be like a make work project for Ottawa at a time where they don't need it. Yeah. But I think his, if I'm not mistaken, his, uh, He's more of like a face-off guy, like third or fourth line center. I know his like possession stats as far as face-offs and stuff like that go aren't horrendous. But yeah, maybe he's like minus three this year. Like he's yeah. He's in, what he's at, sorry, no, go ahead. I'm looking at his advanced stats now, and uh, his actual primary points per sixty are not terrible. He's 14th on LA this year. So, like, with the minutes that he's been playing, he hasn't been extremely terrible. Yeah. Um, like, he has the same... Like, he has the same... He has better primary points per 60 than Tanner Pearson. This okay. Um, and then also, I guess, possession-wise, he's been a positive player. But pretty much on LA, it's not hard to be <laughs> Yeah, it's um, true. But relative to, relative to his team, he's about three points up. For a Corsi four percentage, so it's not a terrible move by Ottawa getting him for depth. Like if you're if he's your fourth line center, you're not complaining because I think he's he, he's better than Thompson. I think yeah. If you like think of 
it's Shoren Thompson and Fanof and Gabrick. I yeah. think they Ottawa did better attaining Shore. Okay. Well, yeah, I I was just I was an advocate uh, in one of the earlier episodes that Ottawa doesn't need to be taking on any sort of like rebuild or anything. They need to get themselves through this whole finding an arena and an identity and a home and then they can make work for themselves. And I just fear that he's going to be a make work project for Ottawa at a time where it's going to hurt them. That's, I, that's my, that's yeah. my only reservation on it. I feel like they need bodies though. <laughs> like as, yeah, as absolutely. awful as that sounds, because like to your point there, you know, the way that the Ottawa market, you know, fr- from, from everything that we've seen and everything we've heard is you're right. They, they do need like an ounce of sustainability here, but you know, this is kind of like an early look um, yeah. And I don't know if I'll regret saying this in a month, but I feel like Ottawa wins the trade out of moving out cap space for Dion Phaneuf, which oh, I don't absolutely. think they were keen on keeping it anyway. Um, Short and Thompson, like from a salary perspective, is going to be more of a wash than anything. And then coupled with the fact that you're going to then have a little bit more wiggle room to re-sign um, yeah. some people. And, you know, there's a guy, Eric Carlson, you may have heard of him, um, that is going to be ex- Carl. Carl, yeah, he's going to be expecting some money in the next little while. So you wonder if this Maybe is just that was a play, right? Almost as like a an investment to make sure that they're going to get some money um, that way. So yeah, I mean that's sorry, Dion. <laughs> yeah, he's but you know what? Uh, to celebrate Valentine's Day, I'm sure uh, Alicia Cuthbert is happy to have him back. So here we are. Um, let's, uh, let's move into the Olympics. Um, the Olympics are on right now in, uh, Pyong, Pyeongchang, uh, South Korea, man, I totally botched that. Um, I saw a, t- a meme or something on Twitter of somebody, instead of putting the name uh, of where they are in South Korea, it just said PF Chang. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else saw that. I think that was a news, some like news anchor actually put that as a, as a graphic. Like when I saw that this morning, <laughs> I like, know, it was like a, just a joke or holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I got a pretty good laugh out of that, but have you guys watched uh, any games at all? I know the games are on like super, super early in Canada, but have you guys had a chance to take a, a peek at what Canada's doing? Yeah. Like I, I watched the, um, like the Latvia Belarus, um, games and they they were sleepers to be fully honest which is concerning because it's Latvia and Belarus like they should have been a little bit of an easier climb for us um, but the the Sweden game I caught the highlights and that seemed like it was a lot more interesting I should have should have stayed up for that one instead yeah I mean makes sense I feel like it's going to be a walk with some of the teams like you'd think it would be a walk with Latvia and Belarus but I think like Sweden's team Finland's team the Olympic athletes of Russia team I'm never going to get used to saying that I want one of those jerseys so bad <laughs> they are atrocious like the white with the red light like, go down in history <laughs> um yeah. did you get a chance to watch any of it yet Thomas uh I've been able to watch the highlights for the men's and then some games for the women's tournament um I've been really digging the women's tournament obviously because it's the quality of players they have the best of the best there right now so, yeah I mean, it's easier to watch than just uh cowering in fear of like what it would what this men's tournament would actually look like yeah Nigel was there but yeah i've been able to see i've been kind of keeping up with the rosters and everything and it's going to be interesting though especially like i was kind of 
gunning for Russia, but then uh, I didn't realize Voinov was on that team now. So. Oh, I didn't even realize he was on the team. Is he actually on it, really? Yeah, he's on it for like 100%. He's playing. That's crazy. That's kind of fucked. But <laughs> well, it's going to be even more fucked if he makes his way back into the NHL, which I feel like some team's going to take a flyer on him. They're going to catch a tremendous amount of well-deserved, may I add, heat for bringing him along. Maybe like the Islanders or something. <laughs> yeah, well, the worst part... <laughs> when, uh, when Voinov still played for L.A., um, I was... Uh, I would often find myself playing as LA and NHL video games and Voinov was money in that video game but it's yeah it's it's not a good situation obviously but when you look at the Canadian lineup like is there anybody who like stands out to you at all anybody here you're like oh that's what that person's been doing for the last three years what was your thoughts on that yeah I've been it's interesting because like, you see all these kind of guys that were in the NHL so recently. Like, I didn't know Lyndon Bay wasn't in the NHL anymore. Yeah. But I guess it was seeing him in Vancouver and he sucked shit, so kind of explainable. And then, uh, I don't know, guys, like, it's kind of interesting to see Cozen, especially with him being with the Leafs when they were terrible and then letting it up and then he just didn't get a contract. So he went over to play in the K and then just completely dominated with I think Joker it was his first team that's right yeah um, yeah and now he's with Locomotive but uh, yeah it'll be it'll definitely be kind of interesting like seeing all these just hodgepodge of players just try to try to make it out with some dignity but we got Scrivens in the pipes oh yeah Professor we got the Professor <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy too because I think, like, to your point, Lyndon Vey, like, I remember when he was still a prospect and everyone was, like, you know, pretty certain that he'd amount to at least something. And I don't mean necessarily, like, a top six guy or anything, but, you know, um, obviously Gilbert Brule, like, I look at that and, and, and laugh, obviously, for several reasons. But the one that person that kind of s- stuck out to me was Quentin Howden, who was a... Um, a Winnipeg Jets prospect and I know he was playing for Manitoba Moose as recently as I think last year the year before that um, I was really surprised that he didn't find a deal um, and you know he's obviously on this team um, I think he's their like 13th forward but he was a guy that uh, I, I mean I enjoyed watching him play when when Manitoba would play the Marlies so that was that was interesting and then I look at the back end and like some of these guys I straight up have no idea who they are I know who Cody Golabeff is I recognize Carl Stollery, uh, and then Chris Lee is like a, I don't know if prolific's the right word, but he's like a pretty big deal in the KHL as a player who's, to my understanding, never played in the NHL. His entire career has been in the KHL. Any insight on Chris Lee at all, Thomas? No, not at all. Have you ever uh, heard of the guy? Or? I know that he's the oldest on the team. Yeah. Uh, he's done a stint. I know he played, I think, in Florida in the in the East Coast League. Um, Is he older than LaPierre? I think so. He might be. All I know is that people... Yeah, by a month or so. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because, yeah, LaPierre was my standout. I'll I'll, I'll chime in on him after y'all are done. No, no, go ahead, Carter. It's all you, buddy. Oh, I was just... He, like, surprised me as, like, a... as a fourth-line forward... After he's like 13 seasons in the NHL and like 
how he's still not managing to move up that lineup. That was one, I didn't know he still existed and two, it was surprising to see him so low on the on the docket with the experience that he has. Yeah, how about Mason Raymond though? <laughs> <laughs> like I was reminded recently, I was listening to uh, uh, Craig Custance's podcast on my way home. Big podcast, check that out. Um, but he was talking to um, an executive who was with, uh, who was the assistant GM for Vancouver in 2011 when uh, Vancouver played Boston in the finals. Can't remember what the gentleman's name was, but um, he was talking about how Mason Raymond broke his back in that series. And I completely forgot that he broke his back and basically had to, like, relearn how to walk, relearn how to skate. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but Mason Raymond, like, at his – Yeah, I was – like, I totally forgot because I, I, like, vaguely remember hearing about that. And then, obviously, he had a stint with the Leafs. I was going to say, I remember him as a Leaf. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and the guy like was fast when he played. So I mean, I I've I've shared my opinion on the Olympics on previous episodes, and like I'm not keen, obviously, on the NHL not being there. Um, but you know, one perspective that I try and have is that what's nice about the Olympics, and we're starting to see this with other sports um, since the Olympics started, is you have these people who are. I wouldn't say nobody's necessarily, but some of these people aren't household names and to see them like become, you know, like a hero winning a gold or, or at least, you know, a silver or bronze medal for their country is a pretty big deal. And when you think about a guy like, you know, Mason Raymond and and some of these guys who are kind of like, you know, part of this ragtag bunch of Canadians, um, it is, you know, it's exciting for them um even if you're maybe not as excited as a viewer or a consumer of yeah, that, you know well, they're like a lunchbox or a lunch bucket hockey team like it's like if you think of guys like raymond they used to they used to put up like 40 50 point seasons in their heyday um and lapierre was one of the go-tos for montreal like they leaned on him for years and these are kind of guys that are getting a second shot at playing on a stage like this so like to your point it's like as like people have to realize like the Olympics never used to have NHL players in them to begin with so they're kind of um, regressing in a bit but they're um, they're kind of giving these other guys like you said the opportunity to share something that might be a bit more um, patriotic than just sending a whole bunch of superstars over like they're the guys that have put in their time and they get a second chance at operating at this level again yeah and it's cool too uh is that balto or ace barking in the background that's balto i'm sorry guys classic balto uh thomas if you didn't know um our pets will frequently make appearances on the show um so in bed right now so it's fun there you go i have a cat named uh, banshee who will jump up and rub her face on the microphone and it's not a good scenario but she's a sweetheart but um the other thing that yeah, exactly. The other thing I was thinking of too is is which of these guys do you guys think is most likely to earn themselves an NHL contract uh, after the Olympics from Team Canada? We'll yeah. we'll go through the three of us and find out who's most likely to get a deal when it's all said and done. Um, I get. I would. I would say um, Rene Bork. Okay, that's reasonable. I mean, he played in the NHL fairly recently, so that's that's possible. Where do you think he ends up? It's tough to say where he ends up, but he's been my shining star so far this Olympic, uh, this Olympic run. 
and I feel like he's going to get some buzz, and um, they're going to start to someone's going to start to pick up on him because he's young, um, and he has a good head on his shoulders. So I feel like he's going to be someone that people are going to start to take a serious look at the second go around. There you go. What about you, Thomas? Who gets a deal? I would be interested in like I was going to say Christian Thomas, but. I know he's playing in the A right now, and I'm sure like teams have already seen him. So if he's gonna get a deal now, then he already like should have already got it. He was like, I remember him being a big prospect for the Habs, and like just that one like that tweener, like oh, just wait until he's like pushed above the A, and then he can play in with the Habs. But he's just been interesting. I'm wondering about. If I got to go off the board from Canada, is James Wisniewski and like Brian Gianta for those guys? It'd be interesting, but yeah. Oh, Gianta, I think is is all but like assured a job in the NHL when he's finished. Yeah, and I feel the same way with Wisniewski. Like I know he was playing for was he playing for Charlotte? I think he was playing for their uh, or like the Carolina farm team for a period of time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in any case, yeah, I, I feel like he might get something thrown at him as well. And for me, my pick would be our friend uh, uh, Gilbert Brule. And uh, I think he goes and fulfills his duty as the former sixth overall pick to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who needs some help up front. Maybe he can be the Sam Gagne of this year and help them with their power play, which is just awful this year. And that's, uh, that's my take. So here we are. Here we are. Now, the next thing I wanted to kind of get into a little bit was um, the most recent suspension in the league. And I know last episode we caught a little bit of heat from some people around uh, me telling uh, Don Cherry to shut the fuck up and stop talking. And Thomas, I'm not a fan. Are you, are you a Don Cherry guy or what? God no, God no. Okay. <laughs> but you're in good company. <laughs> yeah. That xenophobic prick could just get off my TV anytime soon if he can. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm surprised Ron hasn't stabbed him under the desk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Like I, I'm waiting for Ron to just go ballistic and stab Cherry with a, like a pen or something in the leg to show him he's not <laughs> screwing around well, anymore. Like, the only thing on this is the looks Ron gives Don. Yeah. Just like, what the fuck are you saying right now? Just those kind of looks. Like, I'll miss those. But other than that, yeah. Someone's just, this is a challenge. Someone should make a fan movie where it's just the looks that Ron gives Don. Oh, I'm sure they could do, like, a real, like, amazing montage of it. But the uh, last episode, Thomas, we talked a little bit about uh, some of Don Cherry's comments around, um, you know, his... His, how, I don't even know how to just, uh, really explain it. Basically, his feelings towards European players playing in the CHL, uh, you know, taking jobs from good Canadian boys from Innisville, Ontario, all of that bullshit. Uh, and basically, Carter and I collectively agreed that, you know, basically, as a fan of the sport and, and as somebody is, as heavily invested in it as we are, we just want to see the best players. Like, I don't care what country they're coming from. Like, I leg- legitimately don't care if they're Canadian, don't care if they're, you know, Russian or Swedish or Finnish or from Kazakhstan, for that matter. We just want to watch the best hockey possible, right? Um, 
And I had a couple people message me, uh, you know, not so happy uh, with our uh, Don Don Cherry takes. But I think at this point in time, we've seen the game just change so much from being, um, you know, kind of the 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 rough and tumble hockey that that Don Cherry, uh, you know, likes and and has you know, advocated for in Rock'em Sock'em, which, by the way, are great movies if you rewatch them from the 90s, like Carter and I talk about all the time. Yeah, his, his ice dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How about him rapping? Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive that way. But um, in terms of, like, kind of old-school hockey, we saw some uh, MMA moves from our friend Burroughs um, recently. Did you see whatever the fuck that was against Taylor Hall last week, guys. Yeah, I did, yeah. What? <laughs> Just to get into it for those who didn't see it, um, Taylor Hall, um, while, um, like, Otto was playing New Jersey, Hall hit Burroughs, and um, Burroughs kind of, like, retaliated and dragged Hall to the ground and started kneeing him to the head. Like, not just once, but, like, a few times. Like, he was grappling with him on the ice. Um, So initially, it was just, um, like, two minutes for for roughing and another two for cross-checking. But then, obviously, after further review, he got ten games as a suspension for this. Um, And I I feel like the ten games is super light and... Burroughs was smart enough not to appeal it because I feel like they would have swung the hammer down a little harder if he was to try and dig shit up. Um, what do you guys think of this whole thing? I'll let you go first, Thomas. Yeah, I think it was kind of shocking when I saw it first. Obviously, I wasn't watching it live, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, just seeing the highlights, I don't know how it just got 10. I saw it before the um, it was announced that he got 10. And I was like, this is for sure like 20-plus games compared to like what we've seen in the past, even with like, like you're saying before the rough and tumble, where guys would get 20 games like for the things like the downy hit. I forget who's against. There's one name was at the Flyers. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, um, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, though he like pretty much left at the guy. But that's yeah. like with the Burroughs thing, he fully just need him back at the head. And I'm not 100 percent familiar with me, but I have a friend that also writes for Wings Nation. Even in MMA, that's illegal. So it's like, <laughs> just like that kind of stepping up, just, it's insane to think that he, he could just get away pretty much with that and still continue on this season. Yeah, I mean, it's, if you guys watch the, the press conference or, you know, the, the, the quick, um, you know, couple minutes that Hall gave the media after the game, I love Hall. Since he's become uh, a devil, I feel like you get to see his personality shine a little bit more than what you used to see for the Oilers. Um, You know, and and he was obviously less than impressed with it. But, like, here's the thing. I feel like there are players that we, like, come to expect this behavior from them. And, you know, at one point or another, we all had – you know, some scenario where we saw Burroughs do something stupid and we got worked up about it. And when I saw it, I wasn't even surprised, like in the sense that it was an Ottawa player. And my guess was that it was Burroughs right when I saw it. And then the other thing was, is that I'm almost like desensitized to this type of shit because I feel like we see this stuff happen all the time. Uh, And it's really a shame because, you know, 
obviously we don't see like the MMA shit happen all the time, but like we see these types of things, you know, the um, player safety isn't necessarily throwing the book at somebody. 10 games is, you know, I think it's a respectable amount, but I'm, I'm waiting for George Peros to step up to the plate and just throw the book at one of these guys and say, you play like a fucking idiot. Like I have no idea what value you bring this sport in 2018 and you're finished. Like that's it. You're, you're done for 20 games or you're done for the season. And it's as simple as that because I feel like they need to set precedent so that this type of stuff, which could cause somebody serious bodily harm, um, you know, th- th- they can, you know, have some preventative measures in place, right? Like, I don't think we need any repeats of, oh my God, countless things. Rafi Torres hitting Silverberg or Hosa or, you know, Todd Bertuzzi, um, you know, blindsiding more. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't need players like that. Um, and the whole thing, I just, I just find it um, absurd that they didn't just crush burrows um well yeah I, I think that's like i always talk about old world hockey um on this podcast because that's kind of the hockey that i grew up watching and when you grew up on on a team and that team had one superstar he had an enforcer to protect him and that that was kind of like the the makeup of the nhl like your team had like one really big player and then you had one player that would kind of protect that player on the ice, which is like, if we look back at the Bertuzzi thing, like Bertuzzi was just protecting Naslin in a really bad, disrespectful way, but he was just protecting Naslin at the end of the day, right? And so I feel like now, like there's not one superstar per team, like the superstars like stretch all the way to the fourth line for some of these teams. Like there's just not room for this type of enforcing hockey now it's like a much more refined like skill-based game than it has to be a rough and tough game you know what i mean so i don't feel like i feel like burrows should like there should be some general deterrence practice on burrows because we've spent so many years getting ourselves out of this like enforcer like style hockey that if he's gonna be existing like that and try and bring like back the old world that we've been progressing out of he should be made an example of for sure where do you sit on this stuff thomas yeah um especially that it wasn't in really reaction to a lot it wasn't from what i saw it wasn't him protecting anyone really no, on this really it was just a after the whistle a post whistle just like rough and tumble i guess hall like might have said something that's what i could have guessed and then he just went berserk like um I'm kind of surprised because honestly if it ended up that Hall was injured then I'm sure he would have got more games but that shouldn't be a quality of qualification for the player to get more games suspended yeah if like Hall got a concussion a really bad concussion from smoking his head off the ice from a knee by Burroughs I'm sure Burroughs would have got more games but it's just the fact that he had the intent to harm obviously yeah that but it just been right away like here's 25 games like here's the rest and your team's not making the playoffs so here's the rest of the season you're just done just cool down yes yeah. as chris said this isn't the first time that we've seen our boy burrows do something like this yeah yeah it's i just think it's it's really short-sighted to think that players 
will change. <laughs> um, you mentioned Steve Downey uh, a few minutes ago, and and um, Steve Downey uh, retired. Obviously, he actually lives in Innisfil, which isn't so far away from me. I'd love to get him on the show just to get some insight around the type of game that he played. Maybe he, we can get. We'll have our representatives contact him, eh, Carter? But um, I, I think what's what's so interesting about that is is that, um, you know, the enforcer is somebody that is, I find, super fascinating. Um, and when I was a kid, you know, I liked hockey fights. Even now, um, I think there is a place for fighting in the game, which, you know, on the on the contrary to what I said a few minutes ago, I think it's got to be you know two consenting adults that are going to go, and it's got to be reasonable, not what we saw with Burroughs and Hall. Right now, yeah. the, the difference is is that typically the enforcer would go after another enforcer, and when you have a guy like Burroughs, who I wouldn't necessarily classify as an enforcer. New Jersey and the way that they've been playing the last little while, they are trying to be more of like a fast, more skilled type of team. They're not necessarily going to dress a guy that can do the same type of damage um, that Burroughs might be capable of doing, right? And we're seeing that now with like the Maple Leafs, for example, who signed Matt Martin to this deal to um, keep the flies off the kids or whatever that quote is. And he's been a healthy scratch for the last 10 games because the Leafs are playing a bottom six that are much more skilled. Um, So I don't know. I, I feel like although there's. You know, I feel that f- there's a place for fighting in the game. Um, I do feel as if there's you ca- you got to bring more of a skill set to the table than just being able to fight, and you got to be able to how do I word this? Not be um, you know making these a great egregious like dangerous plays. It's it's kind of hard for me to explain because I feel like. The type of team that you need to dress in this day and age needs to be more than just like a grindy bottom six that can hit and forecheck and, and you know work on your penalty kill. And if a couple of them can drop the gloves, fine. Fleming Knights. Oh my god, <laughs> we can get into that in a few minutes. But do you guys see where I'm coming from, or like oh, is what I'm saying make does that make sense? Yeah. What do you say? What do you feel about uh, stage fighting though? Well, like, s- right the face off like. Yeah, so here's the deal. As a fan, I I don't know. Like, there's some, like, caveman blood in me somewhere of, like, being a kid or even, like, just memories of, like, sitting down and watching the game with my family and knowing that, you know, Ty Domi was going to throw him down and fight the other team's tough guy. That you know, I think it's the Don Cherry that we used to watch growing up that tainted us. Well, see, and that's what Steve Downey's point is. I don't know if you guys remember his Twitter rant from a few years ago against Don Cherry. Do either of you guys remember it? I do, yeah. So, so basically he said to Don, like, fuck you, Don, like you condition all these young Canadian kids to be tough and throw their weight around and fight and all of these things. So don't be surprised when we're all 
like, you know, not washed up necessarily, but they're older, their bodies have seen a lot of miles, and they're not able to perform the way that they once were able to. I think was more or less what Downey was trying to say. Well, that's when the whole lost, like the concussion lawsuit started to like really like get media traction, right? That's right. Yeah. So, but to answer your question, Thomas, I don't know how I feel about staged fights because I'll be honest, when Good Branson and Martin were like, you know, just chirping at each other the last couple times that the Canucks have played the Leafs um, and you just know there's going to be a fight. There is a part of me that's like, all right, let's go like ready to drop the gloves. Let's see what happens. Um, But the other part of me makes it feel like it's almost like a little bit disingenuous. The problem with staged fighting and fighting in general is now any time that a player throws a clean hit, it's like, well, I guess we got to fight now because the game's not nearly as physical as it once was. Like, listen, if a guy's getting hip checked and just gets crushed along the boards, that's one thing that starts a fight. But if, you know, your skill player's getting rubbed out on the boards and ends up getting hit or falls over or whatever it doesn't necessarily mean that on the next draw you're like all right you knocked over mitch marner now we gotta go you know what i mean where uh, where are you on the stage fights thomas yeah like i hate the ones that are just right at the face off like right off the opening whistle like it's it's interesting when you have those two players like you're saying those type of players that will go at it but it's I feel like if it's a natural progression throughout the game, like if it's a close game, like one goal, two goals game, then a fight might break out if the two teams have that type of player. Yeah. Uh, like you're trying to say with Martin and Gubranson, but I feel like that's still like a natural, not particularly staged. Like they're known as fighters, they're going to fight, so you can see that as staged. But again, it's the natural evolution throughout the game that you're feeling the emotions kind of rise throughout. So I would say I'm totally fine. Like I have that same kind of like barbaric blood that I just like seeing hockey fights. Yeah. Don't like seeing, you know, like those vicious hits, like obviously anyone doesn't like seeing. So, and I feel like fighting might take some of those out, honestly. Like then I feel like if you got rid of fighting, there'd be more burrow situations. There'd be more guys taking out their anger in this way that they're just like completely tackled the ground and just yeah go insane so I don't know it's it's tough because there's been so many ways that the league has been trying to like remove a lot of like these like injuries that are preventable um and like growing up watching hockey and playing and being small, you learn how to like stay out of the physical stuff that will just like straight up kill you. Um, and so you, you kind of like gravitated towards the players that played a very, it sounds weird, but like in the old world hockey, that was, it was a European style hockey that was flowy, very minimal contact, very high skill. Um, and you utilized like everybody on the ice and on the bench and now that we're seeing the game evolve into that type of complexity, like you used to like this, the third, fourth line in the NHL, you like, if you didn't follow the team, you couldn't name who's on that line because they're so interchangeable. <laughs> um, just because of like the injuries that would happen, the fighting, like everything like that. Now, because the like skill like runs so deep on these lines and the like 
like the the reliance on these players like runs so deep um i don't feel like there's a place for things like that like it's if these like teams operate so symbiotically that like if you remove one part that's been there for a little while no matter where they are on the line they're gonna have like a bit of a weird weird mix um so i feel like they there's been a lot of work to progress out of that like clunky hockey into this like very refined game and i don't think like stage fighting or these big crazy like hits or like nasty play have any part in this game the way it's progressing yeah no i agree and i think you know because it's so much more skill oriented like do we at some point get to a a place where like hitting becomes even a little bit more minimal and i don't know well it already has like if you start to look at the game now versus if you throw on like one of the throwback games and watch the game five years ago Mm -hmm. the hitting has gone down significantly and that that's because like these players are like monsters they're like they're so good and that's not just your top line that's like all the way down to the fourth line like everyone's a superstar nowadays yeah and they eliminate the need for that because they're all trying to best each other while trying to shut each other down at the same time so it's they um they don't need that big crazy play they have more skill um to fight with no i'm i'm with you well, we'll see what happens. I mean, at this point, it's something we'll we'll keep an eye on. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird to think, but like when you think about how you know kids are being brought up to play hockey now, and you know you got these kids at like ten years old who have like skill coaches and skating coaches and all that stuff. They're the version of hockey that they've been taught and the version that they're going to play their entire life does not necessarily coincide with what we've seen when we were kids, like hitting, physicality, yeah. fighting, all that stuff, right? So anyways, let's... Uh, there's there's kids in, in the NHL who aren't even, like, fully developed yet. Like, they can't... Oh, sure, like, yeah. If the game was as physical as it used to be, these kids wouldn't even have any shelf life in the NHL. Yeah. I'm like, with you. If, if you're a skilled player, you're just able to avoid the hits, like... Watching Johnny Gaudreau, like, he's not getting touched out there just because he's so agile. Yeah. Like, you, those are the skills that kind of players are brought up to more be. And, like, if you don't want to get hit, then just develop your skating to a point that you can avoid it, honestly. So. No, I'm I'm with you. As we uh, as we approach the one-hour mark, um, we should probably get into some Red Wings talk. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, we can... can I know. I'm so excited for you, Thomas. So when when you and I met, uh, well, Carter was there too when, when we were at Puck Talks, we talked a little bit about how you and I are like these big prospect fiends. Um, and you and I both follow uh, prospects. I've been getting Carter more and more into it. When he was putting the show notes together, I like laughed out loud when I saw Philip Ronick has had a great season. What does his future look like with the Red Wings? I was like, he's learning. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I want to talk a little bit about like kind of where Detroit's at right now um, and, and kind of, you know, top prospects. I think it's easy to dwell on the things that aren't working out for the Red Wings. And we've talked at that 
uh, at that you know point ad nauseum before. So instead of talking about what's not working, let's talk about their trade deadline. What are some moves that they could make to build for the future? And I want to hear about yeah, like what you've been writing about, some prospects that you're excited about that are already in the system or could stand to make a difference at this draft coming up in June. So where do you want to start, Thomas? Yeah, so I guess with right now, um, I was fully on the board of just them tanking as much as they can. They can like with the deadline, sell as much as you can. But after hearing, um, I think it was yeah, it was management. Management said Kenny Holland came out with a quote, and then Bob McKenzie put it on his podcast later, saying that he wouldn't be surprised if the Wings don't go full rebuild and try to like establish as much as like analytically I hate this term of like winning culture oh yeah try to establish that first and then good teams that have that will get the process that they need and whatever right Uh, which I think isn't a terrible idea like right now if you look at the wings they're just terrible on the NHL level like their defense is full of players that honestly should just be the fifth or sixth defense would not best on a like a decent team like not even a good team good teams wouldn't have these players <laughs> yeah and then, mike, and then there's mike green who is basically i he's basically kevin shattenkirk of last year just a little bit older like he's he's put up the numbers five on five and like crazy on the power play so i wouldn't be terribly surprised of him getting the same deal that they that Shattenkirk got for last year. It's kind of the same deadline where there's not a lot of defensemen going around. There's none of those pure rental defensemen really, except for Green. Um, Will someone pay the rental price for him though? Do you think? That's the thing. If if teams want to though, like yeah. Washington fully went for it last year because that was the last year before they had to pay a bunch of players. So yeah, they kind of went for it with. But honestly, the price wasn't huge. It was a first, and Zach Sanford, who is I don't have his stats in front of me, but I don't. He's not. I know he's not playing in the NHL right now. So yeah, and it was that goaltending prospect too, Phoenix uh, Copley or Copley. I think he oh, went yeah. back the other I think way he too. Went the other way, right? Or all I know is that the team that he was drafted by got yeah. he got traded to the other team and then it, and ended up back on the team that drafted him. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. Chris left Mike Green. If you want to keep talking about Mike Green until <laughs> the sun comes yeah. up. Put him to your bed, right? He yeah, is. We want him there. He's the hottest, I don't know, like we'll have to do like a rankings of hottest I just, NHL I players. I Zetterberg though, like honestly. Like, Zetterberg's hot, but he doesn't like basically Mike Green is the type of person I'd bring home to piss my parents off. That, that's why I called him motherfucker Green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys ever watch Workaholics or like Dur's yeah. home to your mom? <laughs> <he will> fuck her. <laughs> it's it's crazy too because I like am legit convinced that Green is gonna return a first round pick. Some team yeah. I like Mike Green, and I'm not oh. saying that because he's hot. I'm saying it because I think he has he he is like a traditional offensive defenseman 
who, you know, can make a really great first pass out of his own zone. Defensively, I'm not so sold on him. But if a team, like I heard it, I can't remember what I was listening to recently, but a lot of teams are saying like, or a lot of, you know, people within within the hockey universe are saying, wouldn't it be great if he got traded to a team like Tampa Bay where he could be like a fifth or a sixth guy? And when you look at what the Red Wings um, have in their prospect cupboard, Tampa, like every good prospect of the, you know, entire, in the entire world plays for Tampa. So think about a return that included like a first round pick, you know, maybe you see um, like a, you know, Boris Kachuk, maybe like a Taylor Radish, you know, a a, a impact guy that's projected to be like a top six guy, top nine guy. Like what would be like the ideal return, you know, as, as somebody who, you know, is so heavily invested in the Red Wings. Like, what would you like to see come back the other way for a Mike Green trade? So, I'd like to see a first round pick would be nice this year because since the draft is so deep, that if you're getting Tampa's first, so it might like highest pick it would be is like what twenty fifth overall. Like, yeah, you're not getting a great pick, but with that pick, you could probably get the equivalent of a player that would be of what you got for him if you got that 20, 21-year-old right now. Right. Or even because I'm always players dropped. Like, Eli Tolvanen last year, like, he would be a top 10 right now. Oh, no yeah. What. For sure. So, like, so you never know. But also, I've, we've been talking on the Wings Nation message board that's, like, how stocked Tampa's forward covered is that and how dry and, like, just empty for forward prospects the wings are like if you think about it it's very just Sveshnikov uh, Michael Rasmussen and Giovanni Smith is all you have to really think about where does that Chalaski and Sambrook play like where, where are they are they defensemen they're defensemen they yeah well? they're defensemen yeah okay yeah that's, that's, that's the other point is that Red Wings defenseman cover is like jam packed with these guys that have huge have really high ceiling yeah like NHL ready guys that could be playing their whole top six could be guys that they drafted in like four years oh so well, if there's that interesting article about like Chalaski and Sandberg and Smith like they're all they all got moved to teams um in development that are all like that have all made the playoffs so they're playing lots of hockey they're playing good hockey and they're like ready to come up the pipes yeah especially i I'm kind of hesitant on Smith just because of his raw point totals, but he's been not getting... He's been always on that second or third line for his team when he played with Guelph, and then now with Kitchener, he's been kind of just been depth forward, but he's getting points when he's on the ice, which is, I guess, the important thing. Yeah. Well, like he's playing hockey, and he's he's just... Like, he's playing more hockey, right? So the move was good for him. Yeah, and the Detroit likes to simmer their prospects, like everyone knows, so... Like he might be, he'll be playing Grand Rapids next year, I think. Yeah. So, so you never know what will happen with him. Um, but yeah, he'll return. The thing is with Green, he has a full no trade clause right now, so he gets to decide fully where he goes. Yeah. Um, and there's again on the Bob McKenzie podcast, they he mentioned Tampa as where he's been kind of rumored where he wants to go, which. What are you fucking incredible? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I've been looking on with us and all of us at Wings Nation. I've been looking at Tampa prospects like crazy, and a couple guys like uh, like Matthew Joseph, who's on DK playing in the A right now. Like again, he said Taylor Radish. Like 
would be an insane get. And I don't think they could reasonably get a first and one of those players. Yeah, but I agree with you. I'm thinking, like, if there was a bidding war for Mike Green, just right. knowing that not – listen, Tampa. we talked about Tampa Bay's prospect pool, like, fairly recently – and I wasn't joking when I said, and I'm sure you guys will agree with me, every, you know, every time I'm watching, like, the World Juniors, I'm like, oh, man, this guy's great. And, like, Boris Kachuk, for example, I had seen play a few times here in Barrie. And I was like, oh, shit, what team did he get drafted to? And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure, but probably Tampa Bay because that's how these things seem to happen. Um, but I feel like if, if it came down to it, I feel like Tampa Bay in, like, kind of a weird roundabout way could look at overpaying um because of the sheer amount of prospects and we don't know like i i like taylor radish for example but we don't know if tampa bay as an organization hasn't you know soured on one of these guys behind the scenes and maybe they're willing to sweeten the pot a little bit um what about um you know some of the other you know people who have been rumored to go um peter mrazek or jimmy howard i feel like you know, one of them at some point or another is going to go. And then I know, um, Carter, you had some questions about Nyquist or Tatar and whether you think it'd be worth moving on from those guys to get some prospects back for the future. What do you think, Thomas? Um, with Nyquist and Tatar, I honestly think they're at an age that they're not going to be here and be effective when the Red Wings want them to be. Yeah. So I think, well, let me just quickly look. So Tatar is 26, no, 27, and then Nyquist is 28 right now. Like, that is... You, you found your level of play at that age. Yeah, exactly. So they, you know what they are. They're getting paid a lot. Nyquist is getting... His contract's up after next year, but the thing is with Tatar that's interesting is he has a full no-trade clause... Um, kicking in July 1st of this year so mm-hmm. if they're do a deal that would it would be either at the deadline which I don't see because he's a lot he's a big contract making 5.3 for the next four years so I could see that that being more of a trade like a draft trade yep no that's fair teams have more time to kind of build their team so they could acquire Tatar and then unload some prospects but then and some other like cap will probably move off if they have expiring free agents and so I, yeah you just wonder how like long Detroit will sit on them though because they like their narrative is a lot like um Gatsuk's and Zetterberg's like they like how they came in and the types of waves that they made on the Detroit lineup um you gotta wonder though if they're gonna fizzle out um I hate to say it but kind of how like Zetterberg and and Datsuk turned out for the Rip Wings. Like, is that narrative going to play out the same way? Um, like, is it worth it to see how it plays out? To like, so maybe they do something a bit different than Zetterberg and Datsuk did, or is it worth getting them now, like for what they're worth? Like, getting rid of them now, sorry, for what they're worth. Because I think I, I don't think in two years, if Detroit continues down this path, they're going to get their value. No, so I think they should sell as high as they can, which is probably right now, obviously. Yeah. Uh, especially with Nyquist. He does have, I think it's a no-trade where he has to name. Yeah, he just has a full no-trade clause. So, again, he uses where he is. 
Kenny just loves his no trade clauses. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I think it'd be interesting because if Nyquist wants to waive that no trade, then he only has one year left if he gets deal at the draft. So he'll be a like if a team doesn't want to commit to him or kind of gamble a lot on him, they just have a year of him and they can just let him walk. Yeah. Um, so, and it's good selling offensive pieces better than defense because I think you could just always add more offense really yeah well um larkin like he had like they have to give him room to play right yeah so larkin is i think larkin and mantha is getting the most ice time right now so they're yeah. all leading the team uh yeah. zetterberg is actually playing really well this season and he had a quiet like 65 point season last season so he's still he's still playing with like the the kind of uh, skill that he's always played with, and I don't think that they'll. He doesn't have the support depth that he is used to having in Detroit. Well, exactly, and especially on the back end, if no one's giving you the puck, then I'm scared to see what Detroit will look like without Matt Green, honestly, because yeah. he seems to be playing like 25 minutes a night and just carrying that puck out of the zone. So, um, yeah. but yeah, so I think. It'd just be a good time to kind of sell, but then also retool as much as you can. Like, get those players that, instead of picks, maybe get those players that are playing in the A right now, 21, 22-year-olds that just haven't made it because of the depth on their team that they're with right now. Like, yeah. you're saying with Tampa, like, Matthew Joseph and um, what's their other guy that's playing with Steve Cruz right now? Uh, Adam Ernie. There's Adam Ernie too. Um, I can't think of it right now, but Mitchell yeah, Stevens but, uh, is he there yet, or is he still playing the OHL? I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure right now. But see, D- Detroit needs to start to like pay attention to who they have in their own like development pool. Like they have a lot of like strong hockey players that are fighting to get a roster spot, and it's I don't know. It, it's it's. It's tough for me. Detroit's a tough subject for me. When you uh, when, when like when you think about building through the draft and things like that, which I think is evident for most teams now. Like you think about where Toronto was, and then they suddenly you know get Austin Matthews and see how far along that they've come. When you look at this year's draft, and like let's make the assumption that maybe they're picking in the. I don't know. I was going to say top ten, but let's say top five. Who's the type of player do you think that they should? should target you know who my my pick is but i want to hear what yours is so i think if they don't have Darlene, then they should get a forward no matter what and if so see they don't win a lottery and pick fifth overall so let's say Darlene's gone especially gone uh the dean is gone and kachuk's gone like interesting prospects that I've been looking in today is Oliver Wallstrom right now. He's playing in um, the development program, right? Right, playing in the development program, and he's been kind of interesting. Where he's almost like a—I've heard him compared to Nylander, where he's playing center in the wing, but he's almost like a winger that plays as well as the center that controls play like a centerman. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so he's actually been a really interesting. Uh, guy to look at if you're not dropping that kind of prime spots if they won the lottery this whole conversation changes because any of those top two picks that's like a 
whole franchise changing with either Dalin or Svechnikov, I think, so... Yeah, my pick would be Svechnikov. I think one of the first things I ever said to you was it would be great <laughs> if you could get the two Svechnikov brothers playing on the same team. Um, I've been truly, truly blessed to, to see uh, Andrei Svechnikov uh, play with Barry. Um, we literally saw them play against Windsor two Saturdays ago. Um, and Svechnikov is just such a force man he's a big boy 6'2 he's probably close to 200 pounds and I think he's still got to fill out a little bit um but like his brother um I don't know I well Andre's ceiling is much higher than his brother's I would say no offense but um he would be a really great pick and then I also wonder just based on the hype that seems to be coming from um, Adam Boquist um if he maybe is a guy that they would look at and I know that they have a a somewhat deep back end um but i wonder if a guy like adam boquist um you know could be potentially a a a difference maker right hand shot um a pretty mobile defenseman um who's playing in the uh elsvenskin right now in sweden so like i feel like something like that um would be worth looking at as well and you know if they get another first round pick and, and this is where i hate to be a negative nancy here but my concern is that they will make another pick like Resmussen. And I know Resmussen's had a better year than he was having last year, where a lot of the criticism around him was that most of his points were scored on the power play. Um, I haven't been as invested uh, in Resmussen this uh, you know, past year, but what can you tell us about uh, the former uh, first-round pick from Detroit last year? So yeah, so Rasmussen's been playing decently. He had a bad injury. Um, I think it was to his wrist um, not too long ago. He just came back, I think it was two weeks ago. Um, but he's been having all right season. Not the best, not what I want to expect from a ninth overall pick, honestly, when guys like Gabe Velarde are letting up the O right now and he has picked two picks later. Yeah. Um, so I don't love the pick, obviously. Um and still, a lot of his uh, points are coming on the power play, but not as much. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see his development and how kind of, I guess, well he he can develop. Because there are some Wings fans saying like he should be on the team this year, like after seeing him in training camp. And of course, there's always those guys that impress during training camp. They're like, oh, get this guy on the team as soon as he can. Um, but right now I'm kind of predicting that he's nothing more than a nice second line center, honestly. Like he, he can be that big body in front of the net on the power play, but you already have that in Anthony Mantha and he's only 23 years old right now. Yeah. So it's not getting rid of Mantha anytime soon. Um, I just pulled up a couple stats from Rasmussen. So he's right now, among all skaters in the dub, he's... 46th with uh, primary points per game. So that's goals or like those first assists. Right. So he's not, he's like around players that are not having great seasons and are kind of, he should be playing better for his age because these are guys that like uh, Anderson Dolan, who was picked up by the Kings in the second round last year, is outperforming him around Cody Glass, Delio Matos. He's, He's been playing 
just all right, but not the expected ninth overall pick kind of level. Um, so it's kind of sad that they could have got a really game-changer prospect like Velarde or uh, Martin Neckes that plays for Carolina that's a Czech forward prospect. Yeah, that's who I was going to say. Um, he's been really surprising. He's been on I'm actually writing a piece right now that's probably going to be released in the next couple of days about... I wrote a quick one on that Athens CU Justin Falk rumor that Friedman posted. Yeah. Um, and then I that kind of got me looking more into Carolina Detroit connection, and I kind of picks. I'm not going to give away, so people have to re- read it on Wings Nation. A little teaser. <laughs> <laughs> that is what they call in the industry a tease. <laughs> oh yeah, but basically, I'm saying like if you could grab one of those key prospects from. Carolina and solve Carolina's woes right now. Like they need a goalie and a forward really badly. They need some, some just some guy to play. I included so goal spoiler. I included Jimmy Howard in the trade just because they need someone behind that defense. That's incredible defense to yeah. kind of just stop some pucks that get through. Right now they're not getting anyone that's just stopping those pucks. Yeah, it's true. So if you kind of give Carolina those needs that they need um, then you could probably say you might make the playoffs this year might make a run for it in that Metro why not give a player that's not even on your roster right now so it's kind of uh, it's alright but if we could get one of those top forward prospects like either in the upcoming draft if they get one of those guys that become that blue chip player then things kind of look up for Detroit, and especially even if they get one of those top two picks. I'm ecstatic as a guy that's covering the wings. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting, man. Uh, just a question about, like, your writing and what you've done with the, the Wings Nation, um, you know, since you started. What would you say your favorite piece is and, and why? Um, that, you've, that you've written, obviously. I guess... I'm, I like people reacting to the stuff I write. So I, recently there was a quick report on teams calling about Danny DeKaiser, which I call bullshit, but I wrote it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but like people were like, oh, hell yeah, hell yeah. So it was nice to see some response. But I wrote, um, so we share the post-game kind of responsibilities every now and again. The last one I wrote was when they played Carolina about two weeks ago. I don't know what I was doing that night, but I was like, I'm just going to make this totally just off the cuff, just whatever. I'm going to make fun of everyone. And like, so I was obsessed with like Sebastian Ajo. And then like, I posted a picture of him pretty much every paragraph. I just like, just had fun with it. It was like, Oh, no one reads these anyways. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to, that's like, amazing. It's, it's yeah. So it's just been fun writing and like, to kind of just let out your crazy theories and that's kind of where we're going as a full collective with Wings Nation is just being like a group of guys that can just express whatever they're feeling like we all feel differently and we've all like feel differently about the team and see where the team's going but we all still have fun with it so um, but yeah it's been really a really good experience for me so far writing for them that's great, man. I'm really happy that uh, that you're enjoying it so much. And and yeah, I think you know the thing that's nice and, and I'd say refreshing about 
the nation network stuff as a whole is that you know a lot of the stuff is is you know kind of tongue-in-cheek and playful and you know there's obviously some some pieces that are very serious and a lot of them that are are meant to you know get people riled up and and you know other ones that are just yeah. meant to get a laugh right so it's kind of nice to have that you know variation uh, in writing styles and things like that now um who would you say your um who's your must follow in, in hockey twitter these days oh god um the golden nugget don't you dare carter stop oh that <laughs> the og la king twitter they just copied the la king twitter vibe oh and, man uh, there's they're, no- they're like a, a <laughs> mid 40s soccer mom twitter they are the oh fucking God. worst. I love when, yeah, well, the Boston thing was bad, obviously, but I loved the, like, how angry everybody got. Uh, and my other favorite debacle with the Golden Knights this year was when um, the team Twitter tweeted about something that was, like, disparaging against the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association of Nashville, saying, like, they cheered when their team scored a goal and, like, <laughs> were questioning their, like, integrity as sports writers. And I'm just thinking, like, you guys need to smoke a fucking joint or something because you're all stressing me the fuck out. Like, I can't even... But, uh, yeah, who would you say your, like, your number one uh, follow is right now? Um, other than kind of the obvious um, guys, like the, obviously the big, like Bob McKenzie, Jeff Merrick, all those top guys. Other than those guys, um, I would shout out the kind of the guy that I followed you uh, today was Colin Cudmore. He's been posting these crazy um, tableaus um, and charts about prospects. Uh, the big thing recently is getting those advanced stats on the CHL and especially with drafts coming up that teams will that huge fan bases will kind of want to get to know he's been really well documenting updating these shots these charts that are kind of visual to see the top players and they're sorted well like I think one's like time on ice per primary point so you can see the players that need to play more so if they're getting a bunch of primary points but they're not playing a lot yeah um, so I think that's a must follow and he's kind of underfollowed too um, ever since I discovered I've just been entranced with his website right now that's awesome it, to that note I started following um, a guy he doesn't have a last name on Twitter his name's Hayden he's the guy that does the prospect stats website so okay, you, yeah. you can follow him at prospect underscore stats and he started doing um, you know stats stats and stats of prospects um, in the CHL and things like that stuff that isn't necessarily tracked very well um, but you're able to compare you know some of these these guys that are coming up in in this draft and in coming drafts so you know for prospect nerds like you and I um, who like to read into that stuff um, just gives you something a little bit more tangible that you can look at and read Um, yeah the reason I asked the Twitter question is because I feel like there's some people on there that like totally make my day reading some of their stuff and I always like to see what other people are are up to in reading um but I think we're going to probably wind down we're going to get you back on here again um soon Thomas so thanks for for joining us um where can people find your stuff and is there anything that you want to plug uh, in the last couple minutes here 
Yeah, so um, you can find myself on Wings Nation. Um, if you just search my name, I'm sure it pops up, Thomas Williams. Um, I'm coming up with a lot of posts. We actually are collectively going to be posting a lot of stuff upcoming to the trade deadline. We're starting a series of just, like I said, with the Carolina team, uh, just a list of teams that would be interesting for Detroit to trade with. Um, and then my Twitter handle is no salary retained. And there's no there's no e on that last retained. <laughs> I, so no salary e r e t a i n d. If I can spell correctly. No, you did a good job. I, I can I can fact check that. Disturbed. Yeah. Disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. One thing I'll mention too is uh, I wanted to let you know that your contact photo in my phone, Thomas is of the Little Caesars Arena mascot. Oh, perfect. It's like the fucking <laughs> stupid Little Caesar. I don't know what his name is. Oh. Little Caesars mascot, his big stupid head. Remember when you posted the like close-up of him on Twitter fairly recently? <laughs> Yo, that, was, that scared me, honestly. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I honestly haven't been paying much attention to the new arena that I didn't know that that was their new mascot. Oh, my God. <laughs> well fucking terrifying listen it's probably appropriate for me to let everybody know at the end of the episode this episode is brought to you by little caesar's home of the hot and ready um (laughs) yo get a location in toronto little caesar's come on oh my god dude we have one like right around the corner from where i grew up and well carter and i both grew up in a similar area barry and uh yeah the hot and ready's were flowing uh Mm. down hanmer not so far away from where we live but uh, anyways, uh, thanks for joining us again, Thomas. Um, for everybody else listening, you can listen to Hosers on iTunes and SoundCloud. Feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or feel free to leave a comment uh, on SoundCloud. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at listen to Hosers, and you can follow Carter and I as well. You can follow me at SeaKillingsworth9 and Carter at Carter Lupel. And, uh, and that'll be it, boys. Any last words? No, uh, watch your hockey, support your country. Fuck Alexander Burroughs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree more. All right, guys, have a good one, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. To the-